Before we get started on today's show, I want to tell you about Green Roads. You probably know by now that DMVR is a huge supporter of CBD. As a consumer, you must find the product that works best for you. Green Roads has hooked us up with some incredible products. The one I got was the one that has some like uh, the stuff that puts you to sleep. They're fantastic. Little gummies. Uh, you just pop one gummy 30 minutes or so before you want to go to bed. And what do you know? Your body starts winding down. You get all the benefits of the CBD as well. Promote, promotes a sense of relaxation, uh, well-being for your body and mind, enhances physical and mental well-being, calming effect on nerves, all of that great stuff. And of course, Green Roads, our preferred company for CBD products. And they've got a whole host of other things, edibles, topicals, um, beverages, anything you can imagine. And again, not just for sleep. They've got some for, you know, during the day type stuff, stuff that'll just help calm your nerves or uh, provide a whole host of benefits. Check them out right now and use promo code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. That's DNVR20 when you visit Green Roads uh, for all your CBD products. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast. I'm your host, Adam Mattis, flying solo today. Uh, the other guys have the night off, but I'm going to do a notebook pod. Went back and watched this Indiana Pacers game on rewatch, and I've got a bunch of notes for you on that one. If you're new to the show, the notebook pods, detailed notebooks, uh, detailed notes from my notebook where I tell you everything I'm picking up from the game on second time viewing. It's a really great opportunity for you to kind of get into the weeds of what's going on with the Nuggets. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to talk about the Michael Porter Jr. integration into the Denver's Big Three and what I'm noticing about what Denver is doing with Michael Porter and sort of where they're at in that development and what I sort of expect in the weeks ahead. As always, today's show is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. You can use promo code DNVR when you sign up. Lots of fun. March Madness is this weekend. A lot of people say Super Bowl is the biggest day for gambling. I think it is. My personal biggest event for gambling is March Madness. It's just so much fun. There's games nonstop. You sit there, you put a bet on each game, maybe one or two bets on each game, and you got a little skin in the game for every single one. So when Loyola Marymount is playing against uh, – uh, who could they be playing against? Um, South Dakota State, game you maybe don't know anything about. But if you have a little bit of money on it, you're rooting so hard as if it was your own personal championship. So it's a lot of fun. Check them out. Um, download the Sportsbook app. And then tune in. We're going to be doing over at DNVR the Big Bets Bonanza on Friday. I'm going to be participating in that. So you can watch me win money live uh, and just kind of hang out. If you're watching the game, actually, this the, the tournament this weekend, first of all, I recommend you come down to the DNVR bar. We're going to be open at 10 o'clock on Friday, 10 o'clock on Saturday, 10 o'clock on Sunday. So you can spend all day there eating delicious food, drinking delicious beer talking to people meeting people and then just watching march madness and having a great time i'm going to be there most of those days basically from open to close watching basketball and just having a great time um but then also you know just download that app and then check out the big betting bonanza on our youtube page to get into this this indiana pacers game was interesting not because i thought the pacers were good this game was you know this game went more or less how you would have expected it to go factoring in how late indiana arrived the Pacers are kind of not on. A, I don't want to say on a spiral, but they're struggling. They do not seem to me like a team that's very happy. And I want people to kind of, whenever Denver comes across a team like this, whether it's the Timberwolves or the Pacers or any other team that is like Denver in terms of market share and like Denver in terms of having young talent. Of course, Miles Turner. Um, you know, if you go over to Minnesota, you got Carlin City Towns. When you compare what Denver has done in the Jokic era and Michael Malone era. 
Base, compare that to what Indiana has done or or Minnesota or sort of Sacramento or some of these other teams. You really have an appreciation for some of the things Denver did not do in their rebuild process, namely skipping steps and just the cohesiveness that Denver has been able to play with. I think every fan base, Denver included, myself included in this, can get lost in sort of some of the minutia about the Nuggets and, and thinking like, oh, things are getting stale or I don't like the vibe or this or that. But when you really step back and look at it, Denver's a good team. The players seem to like each other. They play hard. They play for each other. And are they perfect? By no means. Have there been missteps? Yes. But when you really compare them to a team like Indiana, who I think uh, two years ago I said the Pacers are like the Nuggets of the East, maybe even one year ago the, the Pacers are the Nuggets of the East. You know, the Nuggets are – clearly right there on the fringe of contention and i don't think anybody looks at the pacers as being on the fringe of contention in fact i believe they're really closer to being in the uh you know out of the playoffs or or, or a road team in the play-in game so they have their work cut out for them and i think when you watch the way that this game ended down the stretch and melted down it really provided a contrast because the pacers just do not look like a happy team right now and it would be kind of a bummer to be watching them um, my first note in here, I'm going to go in chronological order. So it's not like there's a rhyme or reason to how my notes are going to, you know, go out in this, uh, in the show, but my number one note, Paul Millsap just doesn't get lost. You could say what you want about who should start. And Michael Malone, by the way, nipped this one in the bud and just said that very soon, uh, Millsap's going to go back to the bench. Paul Millsap allegedly today, uh, Michael Malone was on altitude radio and said he talked to Paul Millsap after the game and he, and Paul Millsap told him like, Hey man, I'm cool with coming off the bench. Don't worry about me. Like if Michael Porter is rolling at the four or if the team is rolling with me coming off the bench, I'm happy to do it. And that's just, you have to tip your hat to a guy like Paul Millsap. Not every veteran player can do this. In fact, most veteran players, you know, when it's their time to take a greatly diminished role, it happens somewhat ungracefully. You know, nobody ever, very few players actually realize how good they are. They either think they're like, most players just think they're a lot better than what they than what they actually are, and, and they want to prove that to everybody. But Paul Millsap's willingness to do that is great. And what I'll say is I think Paul Millsap can be a very impactful player for the Nuggets off of the bench, and it can give them some very important minutes. So whether he starts or not, um, you know, he's, he's a player that I think Denver can use. And part of that is just because he's a low-mistake player. Very first play of the game, Nuggets, uh, the Pacers run a play that the Nuggets have run for years um, where it's basically like I, I don't remember – AI out, I think, uh, is the name I usually refer to this. A player, a guard usually cuts from one wing across two screens at the foul line and then curls towards the basket. You were People that have been watching the Nuggets for a long time remember this is the Gary Harris lob play. They run that one right off the bat, but guess who sniffs it out? Paul Millsap. He sees it immediately and just takes it away without giving up any space or anything. He just recognizes it, and the Pacers have to run something else, and it kind of blows up their entire first possession of the game. So Paul Millsap's just that kind of guy. He doesn't make mistakes. Defensively, he always sees what's going on. Um, and so for whatever his faults are, he still has a lot of that like fundamental value to the Nuggets. Barton, you know, started this game incredibly. Um, he had the first eight points of the game, which I don't think you can expect him to repeat that. But when we just step back and look at Will Barton over the last handful of games, he's starting to shoot the ball from three very well. And, uh, you know, his, his inside game still is up and down. He still does some things that'll frustrate you, but just having another guy that can score, you know, if we, if we count as Jokic as just a given 25 points a night, and to be honest, he's been more than that most nights. But if we just say, okay, 25 points from him, 20 points from Jamal Murray, which I think, you know, he's starting to get out of that slump with this game. But if you just pencil that in and then Michael Porter, you know, gives you another 15 or so, you know, you're already up there in points. 
if you get another contributor somewhat consistently, and if that's Will Barton just giving you 10, 11, 12 points, something like that, then Denver has like all these go-to guys and they become really unguardable. They're already unguardable, but they come extremely unguardable if Will Barton just, just becomes this reliable three-point shooter that he's been lately. And I think that's no coincidence that Denver pulled some pretty massive leads in this game in large part because of Will Barton just making shots both in the first quarter. And then in the fourth quarter when Denver pulled away, of course, you know, the second unit went on a big run, but Jokic hit a bunch of shots and then Barton hit a, a really big three that just pushed the lead uh, completely out of reach. And again, I know fans are up and down about him, but when he plays well, it's different than when, like, say, Compazzo plays well or Dozier. I'm not saying better or worse. I'm just saying that he, he when he plays well, it's usually through great assists or great scoring, and that scoring just pushes the lead so far. So it's nice to see Barton on the upswing. And with the trade deadline a week away, you know, it's going to be curious. It's going to be very interesting to see if Denver holds on to him uh, or if they trade him. I think either way, you know, if you trade him, hopefully you get a player back that provides similar things or, or a long term piece or whatever. But I think, you know, based on how he's played, you get another week of this. I think if Nuggets do keep him and he's playing like this, you should feel really good about that because that's a, a positive impact player, not not a negative and not an up and down one. Um I'm going to talk a little bit later about Michael Porter and some of the stuff that they're running for him, but I have a note in here just that. Um, there was a really funny play early on in this game where the Nuggets ran a play called Pistol. Um, it's like a secondary break play, uh, or you could maybe call it 21 Chase, kind of a similar thing where basically Jokic steps up and set, uh, uh Michael Porter's bringing the ball up the court, and Jokic steps up and sets a, a screen for him above the foul line. And then, so Michael Porter running along the right sideline, kind of attacking a, a, the farthest guy to the right. And then there's what's called the chase screen, which was Jamal Murray, which runs and sets a screen on the ball second. So it's like a little weave type double screen action. Well, when they ran, when Jokic sets that screen, Miles Turner has to step up and switch onto him. And this is what's so great about the Nuggets with Michael Porter is, you know, Murray, Porter, Jokic, those three guys are so different sized that it's very difficult to switch against them. Miles Turner switching onto Porter, that's a mismatch. He doesn't want to have to do that. And so the Nuggets get that. And what's funny about this is I have not seen the Nuggets run this that action, pistol action, with those three guys. They run it a lot. Every team in the NBA runs that action um, several, usually at least once or twice a game. Um, actually, I should say uh, some teams run it like every single game pretty consistently. Most teams run it within a given week at least once or twice. The Nuggets, I've just never seen them run it with Michael Porter, Jamal Murray, and um, Nikola Jokic is the three guys handling it. So it's interesting. And it's interesting because it's very hard not to switch that action. And I think as the Nuggets get more and more familiar with Michael Porter and more and more chemistry, it's just one of those simple actions that can put so much pressure. One of the nice things that you think about the Brooklyn Nets, one of the things that makes them so tough is that they've got three guys that even if you don't run a play, they can put pressure on a defense. And then once you start actually running plays that involve them, then you put even more pressure. The easier it is to get into situations that put pressure on the defense, the better you can be as, as a team. And the Nuggets, I think, with Murray, Jokic, and Porter are just scraping the surface of getting very good quality possessions with minimal effort based on just those three guys, when you involve them in an action, teams can't do the things that they really want to do, like switch or drop or any of those types of things. Um, and of course, Michael Porter does not read the play very well in pistol. Doesn't matter. He pulls up from mid range and drains it. It's just, it's just one of those things where it's like, even when he does executes at a C level, he could still get great results because he's just so talented. What will happen once he starts executing at an A level? Um, he also just provides so much space on the court. Michael Porter does. Um, 
even when he's not doing anything, he makes it so easy for you to drive and kick. And part of this is because when you put a big on him, you know, he's so tall that you can't put like a small player on him. So usually you put a big guy, even if it's not your power forward, you know, in this game, Paul Millsap's playing. So Sabonis guarding him, but you still have guys with length that you like to play passing lanes or you like to just, you know, use that size and athleticism to your advantage. In this case, you know, Justin Holiday, who has some length and speed or whatever. But when he has to guard Michael Porter Jr., it's kind of like removing one defender from the equation. That's how much gravity he has. And that's how elite his shot is that he just makes the paint wide open. I think that's one of the major reasons why Denver's offensive rating with him on the court this year has been incredible. And the Nuggets get off to that 28 to 20 start. Again, Will Barton on fire, big part of that. And then Faku and Dozier came in. And the offensive rhythm sort of collapsed, not because of those two guys necessarily, but just because it was like a weird Nuggets change a little bit. They do something a little bit different, and all of a sudden, like, just the momentum kind of left the team. And this happened with the Nuggets, I think, a little bit too much. And I do wonder if there's something to be said for – there's been so many different iterations of the Nuggets. And the Faku, Dozier, Barton trio, you know, who's the lead ball handler in that? I don't think it's enough to just say we'll feel the court or we'll just, you know, we'll all be ball handlers because I think that's part of why Denver falls into these weird rhythms so often is it's like, is Faku just a straight floor spacer? Is Dozier just a straight floor spacer? You know, Barton had it going. Does he need to keep it going? I think that there would be a little bit, I think the Nuggets would be well served to better define, hey, when you two are on the court together, Faku is the number one lead ball handler. Let's get to that. And everybody's going to touch the ball, but the team's going to know more what to do if there's just a little bit better defined roles. And I think when Denver goes to some of these multi-guard lineups, there can be less clarity on that in a way that's really detrimental. So, of course, Denver's up big, and they close the quarter just atrociously. And what looked like it was going to be a nice first-quarter lead ends up being a first-quarter tie, thanks to four straight three-pointers for Indiana to close. Um, just absolutely brutal. Let's take our first break, though, here. On the other side, we'll get into the second quarter. And then later on in the show, we're going to get into just my sort of perspective on the progress that has been made with Michael Porter and integrating him into the, the lineup and rotation. But first, I want to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer partner of DNVR. And right now, they have Boozies. That's right, Seltzies, or Boozies as I call them. Brand new line. And they're fantastic. I'm telling you, I'm not just saying this. I mean this sincerely. I like Boozies. These ones are the best uh, that I've had. There's a couple different like microbreweries around, or of course you got the big name ones that are trying to do this or whatever. But I actually like the flavors they that that Breck Brew is putting out on these: apple, pear, honeydew, uh, the the berries. They're just mountain berry. There's, there's so many different. Um, Really good flavors for them. So if you haven't checked them out, this is a great weekend to do at St. Patrick's Day coming up. It's a great weekend to try if you're if you're thinking about drinking. It's a great uh, it's a great get if you could find them. Use the Breck Brew locator. These things have been selling like hotcakes. Um, I think this was like one of those things with Breck where they tried something out and it just went so well. Like everybody on earth is is loving these that they're selling out. So don't be don't miss out. Check them out. Use the Breck Brew locator to find out where you can get a hold of one. Next, I want to tell you about DraftKings March Madness. March's biggest tournament is finally here. We do not know who will be cutting down the nets at the end, but we do know there will be no shortage of madness. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of action. Bet $4 on an underdog. $4. 
You win $256 if they win. It's that simple. Turn $4 into $256 when you bet on an underdog and hit. Uh, pick one of many select college basketball underdogs for your shot at winning $256. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up. Turn $4 into $256. If the underdog of your choosing pulls off the upset, uh, that's code DMVR for $4 with $256. Must be 21 or over. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Back here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast. And... You know, next up here is the second quarter, and I want to talk about, you know, Jamichael Green, who I think was one of the – when I went – I thought he was great when I watched it live, but when I went back and rewatched it, he really shined in large part because of his shooting, knocking down four three-pointers. And it's funny. You know, Jamichael Green was the most popular Denver Nugget after about his first 10, 15 games or so. You know, in and out of the lineup, and when he came back a little bit up and down, of course, he had that really bad close. I can't remember what the game was, but where he had a couple of fouls down the stretch, and it cost Denver the game. Was it was that Portland? I don't remember which game it was. Oh, no, it was Washington. It was Washington. It was Bradley Beal that gets fouled. And he has two fouls down the stretch that, you know, kind of cost the game. And I think, like, some of the shine – I don't want to say the shine wore off. I think fans maybe um, – forgot just what the great vibes were around Jamichael Green early on. He mentioned after the game his great chemistry he's building with Compazzo, and I have to agree, watching this one, that pick and pop with Compazzo, it's just deadly because Jamichael Green, especially when he goes four of six, you know, Faku's so good at getting into the defense and then making really good pick and roll reads. I mean, he's a phenomenal passer, right? But when you put pressure on the defense to say, hey, I can't help you out here as a big, hey, I can't help you out. You're going to have to get over the screen on your own, and guys behind me are going to have to rotate. That just puts a lot of stress on the defense. And right now, Jamichael Green just very comfortable there. Composo delivering beautifully timed passes to him so that he gets like nice rhythm three-pointers, and he's knocking them down. Really opens things up. And it opens the lead up too. It's not just the, he had three threes in the second quarter. So Denver builds a big lead. They blow it in the first quarter. And then on the back of Jamichael Green, knocking down three, three pointers, they build another one. Um, Isaiah Hartenstein came in. So Jamichael Green actually playing power forward in his first stint. Hartenstein comes, you know, comes in as the backup center. And, you know, I actually, he, Hartenstein's tough one, man. He's a really tough one to evaluate because, you know, the numbers weren't bad. He only gets four minutes. Nuggets won those four minutes. But boy, does he have some plays that you that are really head scratching. One of them was just misreading a roll. He jumps when uh, Faku delivers a bounce pass to him that could have been a dunk, but for some reason he went for an alley oop that wasn't there. And then on another one, he bobbles the pass, gets tipped a little bit, and then ends up basically just walking out of bounds. And again, those plays look. One of the things I that I think is tough about evaluating a player is when they look really bad. Sometimes, like you know, the eye test is important, but some players are just goofy. And I think Hardenstein's just goofy, man. Like he's just, he's awkward. And those plays look like a dude that doesn't know how to play, but there are some things he does at a very high level. That being said, I think the Nuggets in the second half of the season probably will be best served to be playing Jermichael Green, Paul Millsap as your backup four and five. And Hardenstein, I just don't know where he fits into the equation. Michael Malone had a quick hook for him. He gets those four minutes. He does not come back in. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's sort of like that. Are there going to be nights where he plays well and earns 10 minutes? Probably. And there might be an injury again. But I think when 
the team is as healthy as they are right now, I would not be surprised to see him as the guy cut out of the rotation and some of the guards just all bump down and then you play two power forwards instead of a backup center. I think against most teams, you can get away with that. Um, PJ Dozier is shooting 39% from the three-point line this season, and it's a sneaky story that's been going on. Now, I, part of the reason it's a sneaky story is because it's such a small sample size that you know he goes 0 for 8 or something like that's going to lower his percentage by quite a bit. But PJ Dozier has so many good parts to his game. Shooting is not one of them. If he can become a semi-reliable three-point shooter, and right now 39% is above semi-reliable. Like semi-reliable is 36%. If he could become 36 or better, I think he, you know, he really becomes a player. If he's 39% like he's been this season, then he's a heck of a player. And I think you can really count on him. Uh, and it'd be just huge for his value for this team. It'd be huge for him as a player. I will say he still tries to do just too much. And I talked about this yesterday, so I don't want to belabor the point. But PJ Dozier is one of those guys that like the things he does so well, I just love him so much. Uh Lonzo Ball-esque type things. It's just that he doesn't always stay within the lines. And in this game, it was very much, I thought, the case early on and where he was just he was a little too aggressive, um, dribbling too many times. Like one of those things, you should have a, a little thing in your head where you take like three or four dribbles and you don't know where you're going. There should be a thing in your head that tells you like, yo, what am I doing? Stop dribbling. Just get the ball out and cut and let's let's try to get the rhythm going again. But he's one of those guys that can take seven or eight dribbles and that, that little light doesn't click on his head that, hey, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I thought one of the things that was really interesting in the second quarter is the Nuggets mixed in some zone, and they didn't necessarily need to. They just did it more out of like a, hey, let's mix things up right now and go zone for one or two possessions to throw them off. And you can do that with a second unit that involves Compazzo, Dozier, Jamal Murray, Jamichael Green, Will Barton. These are all, you know, veteran-type player. I know Dozier hasn't been in the league very long, but he has a veteran mind. He's a smart player. Faku, obviously very smart. Jamal Murray's been in here. He's a veteran. Jamichael Green's a veteran. Barton's a veteran. Those guys all are smart enough to be able to handle those types of things. So I thought it was interesting that the Nuggets threw out a zone for a possession or two, uh, and I like it. I like a team that's capable of bouncing between multiple different defenses on the fly and executing. And I think you know, that Pacers team, they were ice cold. Denver goes to a zone. I think the Pacers were like one for nine. And then Denver goes from man, which was working, into a zone for a few possessions, which also worked. And I just love that. It's one of those things that – um, you know, even when things are working, you could still mix it up to make it harder for a, a, a opposing team to catch a rhythm. And that's exactly what it worked out. Great job by Michael Malone. And I think great job by the team executing that and the players that they had on the court. Uh, Compazzo really delivers the ball to Jokic in his spots. That was one of my big notes here. He just, he has a, a, a obviously a great feel for the game, but he just has a great feel for the angles. And most importantly, more than the angles, he has a great feel for the timing of like, When's a guy about to take a step? When is this pocket about to open up? And he gets the ball to Jokic quickly, and he gets the ball. And this is a weird thing. If you'll, you'll start noticing it, he gets the ball. He delivers the ball often at the exact moment when a big is is guarding him. You know, big steps up in the pick and roll, and the big's momentum is going away from Jokic. It's almost like he's reading that. When the big takes a step away from him, then he delivers it so that the big has to like slow his momentum, shift his weight, and then go back to Jokic and. It really makes a difference. I think Jokic's numbers, not necessarily the team's numbers, but Jokic's numbers go up when he shares the court with Compasso. Um, percentages, touches, points, all, all of that stuff. And I, I wonder if that's a trend. That's it's, it's a little small sample size, I think 250 minutes. But I'm curious if it's the thing that continues because Faku just really delivers that ball nicely. Um, and the Nuggets keep adding plays for Michael Porter Jr. I'm going to talk about this later on. But, you know, I, I have a video coming out tomorrow 
that it's going to highlight Michael Porter and how the Nuggets use him, specific plays that you can start paying attention to where you say, oh, that's a Michael Porter-Murray-Jokic trio play that involves all of them. But every game, it seems like they add another one. And there was a couple in this in this game that I, as I went back and rewatched, I'm like, ooh, that could have made it into my video because they're starting to add little pieces and little new things. And again, I... I think that Denver needs to have a somewhat steep curve and a lot of adding plays. You know, there's so many plays to learn. When I do the capture at the end of the year where I capture the entire playbook as best as I can from the Nuggets, the playbook ends up being like 100 plays long. No player can really process 100 different plays. What will happen is a coach will kind of walk through like, hey, here's the thing we're going to go through tonight. You've got your base actions you know, maybe your dozen or so actions that you just run all the time. And there's a lot of different reads, but then you'll put in specific plays for moments and you'll see a team run those. And if it works, it'll stick in the playbook. If it doesn't, maybe it hangs around for two or three games and then it's out of the playbook and they'll try it later. But a lot of what you have is your base plays and then some read and react. So the fact that they're adding these plays that involve Michael Porter Jr. and adding sort of an opportunity for him to learn to read and react to the court, I think is such a great thing. But they got to start to increase it more and more and more as this as the season goes on. Um, and a lot of this is not up to just Michael Malone or Nikola Jokic or Jamal Murray. A lot of this is on to Michael Porter Jr. to really prove that he can read the court in real time because he's still, you know, he's still a little bit. Um, you know, misses a lot of those like basic reads, but he's getting better and the team is getting better at trusting him. And I'll tell you the actions involving Murray Porter and Jokic unguardable. Once they put the polish on this unguardable, I think their offensive rating together on the season is like 123 when those three guys are on the court, which is absurd. If you, for reference, that's like significantly better than the best team in the NBA right now. I, actually, I think the nets might be somewhere around like up top there, but when you talk about just like a regular offensive rating, that that blows it out of the water. Fantastic what they do when those three guys are on the court. Um, oh, and I, the, the new play was a horn set, by the way. I'll, uh, maybe I'll break it down. I'm going to see if I see this one again. But they had a nice little set out of horns that got him in action coming off of a Jokic handoff, which was great. Um, Michael Porter Jr., I, I don't like want to belabor the point because I do think his defense has improved. But there was one play in this game where I think it's just in Holiday fakes like he's cutting. And Michael Porter is like the weakest fake ever. And Michael Porter completely gets turned around, jumps 10 feet out of the direction. And then Justin Holiday gets a wide open three. And it's one of those plays where it's just like it, it's just a play where he got lost. Basically, nothing happened. No play happened to have created an advantage and ends up giving up a wide open, almost corner three. It's like between the corner and the wing. And it was just because Michael Porter had a little bit of a brain fart. And again, those plays are the ones that are killer. Everybody on the court is trying so hard not to make mistakes and to read and be on a string. So when a player sort of blows an assignment without any help, it's, it's like one of those, it, it hurts extra. And he had one of those. But what I liked to end, uh, there was a, a sideline out of bounds or baseline out of bounds. I can't remember. And Michael Malone calls a dribble handoff play for Jokic and Porter. And I just like that because, again, it's out of a set play. We talk about so much of the game is free-flowing, and Jokic is playing Peyton Manning out there, and he's calling his comfort plays, and they don't always involve Michael Porter. What I like was when, my, when Michael Malone saw an opportunity to, oh, out-of-bounds play, let's get Michael Porter a bucket here. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I just like that tells you Michael Malone's thinking about it and that the team is thinking about, Hey, here's an opportunity. Let's call Porter's number as best we can without disrupting the overall flow. Um, Nuggets in, opened the second half with a play. I, so in this video, I break down a couple plays. And one of them, I actually asked Michael Malone about this, but one of them, I would call this play, it's not the right name for it, but I would call it like Hawk Screen the Screener. It's like a, what's called a hot cut. It's like a UCLA cut with Murray up top. And Murray cuts off of Jokic. 
and then sets a it, it almost looks like if you've been following C corner, it almost looks like that play in a lot of ways where Murray will set a screen for the guy in the corner. In this case, it's Michael Porter. And then Jokic will set a pin down for uh, Jamal Murray. So Murray is the screener. Then he gets screened. That's why I say screen the screener. And he comes around to the elbow. But what's cool is that the Nuggets have been experimenting with Murray and Jokic swapped so that Jokic is the one that receives the final pin down and comes off of that for a little curl at the foul line and a jumper. And it's just a cool little action that the Nuggets ran at once that I had noticed, inverted, where, where Jokic is sort of in the guard spot. And they ran it again in this time. I think they're 0 for 2 on it, so it hasn't quite worked. But it's not for lack of good shots. Denver has gotten good shots out of them. They just haven't they haven't gone down. But I just think it's one of those cool plays where every team runs an action, either this specific action or one very, very similar to it. But nobody runs it where their center takes the guard spot and their guard takes the center spot. It's just kind of one of those cool things that is by virtue of Jokic being so skilled, but also Jamal Murray being such a great screener. He's a fantastic screener. Um, he screens like a big man. It's just It's really impressive. Barton challenged Turner one-on-one and got blocked in humiliating fashion. It's one of those things with Barton where you look at the end of the day and you look at the efficiency, just wasn't quite there, although five of seven for three is more than makes up for the efficiency. But it's just one of those things where, like P.J. Dozier, you just wish he would cut out those two or three bad shots he takes that are unquestionably bad. I don't mind him taking like a tough shot here or there, um, you know, if it helps his rhythm or whatever. But when you ISO Turner and get rejected as hard as he did, it's like, yeah, dude, that was a bad decision. (laughs) If you have Turner on you, space the floor, drag the rim protector out on the perimeter and I'll trust that your teammates will find you if Turner collapses the page that you'll get the kick out in the wide open three. Don't try to go one on one. Maybe two years ago, maybe a year ago, Barton could have done that. But where he's at physically, he just not going to beat guys off the dribble, especially defensive player of the year candidates. Millsap also got crossed over by Turner, which is another one of those things that like Millsap just he get maybe get crossed up by LeBron. He might get crossed up by Steph Curry or, or you know Kyrie Irving. But getting crossed over by by Turner, that's a sign of the times, man. Millsap's good, but he's unfortunately not quite at the level he used to be defensively. And then the Nuggets, again, fell out of the rhythm in that third quarter. That third quarter was just absolutely atrocious, almost unwatchable from a Nuggets perspective. Pacers got very comfortable and started knocking down a bunch of threes, I think in large part because Denver just couldn't buy a bucket. And when you're a team and the other team, you you can feel the other team going through such a, a lull and you're playing in transition every play, your rhythm goes up. It's like you see the other team, like a cloud comes over them. And then all of a sudden your team, you know, you just start making everything. And that's exactly what happened in that third quarter. And then the refs swallowed their whistle, which I think was great for Denver actually. But it was one of those games where there was probably and not, not just for Denver's way, but also going the other way where there was six or seven plays where I'm like, Oh, that's a foul. Nobody blew a whistle. And it just kept playing. Of course, there was the circus possession with Denver where uh, I think every player on the court got a shot up and there was five offensive rebounds in one possession, six field goal attempts, and nobody scored. And that was one of those plays where it, was, it looked like hockey out there, just guys falling all over and hitting each other and just no whistles. It was kind of like, um, all right. But I'll tell you, I, I prefer that style of basketball than um, where there's too many whistles and the game gets really choppy. Um, so for whatever it's worth, you know, I thought I thought that was OK. And then finally, in the fourth quarter, the Nuggets were a plus 15 overall with Michael Porter at power forward. Think about how crazy that is. He mostly played alongside, um, you know, Paul Millsap or uh, uh, and Jokic both like he mostly he played a lot of those minutes. But in the few minutes he did get to play, and not even that few, I mean, it was a decent decent amount, but still less than half of his minutes that he got to play at power forward, primarily alongside Jermichael Green and Paul Millsap. The Nuggets outscored the Pacers by 15 points. I really like that look. 
I would not mind seeing and seeing if uh, experimenting with a little bit more of that look because Paul Millsap's a high IQ player. Michael Green's a high IQ player. They can both brace the court as, as three-point shooters. If Michael Porter gets that much room to and that much touches playing that spot, it's a good thing. And they just went on a crazy run. I thought Composo was, was masterful on both ends of the court. Obviously, we talked about his energy and defense um, yesterday on the show. But what really stood out on rewatch was just how masterfully he played the tempo and played the point guard. I, I This is why I say when he shares the court with Dozier and maybe even Monte, I, I mean, I hope that he doesn't share the court with Monte too often. It's really small. But whenever he shares it with other point guards, I just like the ball in his hands because I think he does a great job of pushing the pace when it needs to be pushed. Like you have an advantage, let's press. And when there's not, he slowed it up. And when you have a lead in the fourth quarter, a six, seven point lead, push it in fast breaks, try to play fast if you can, because it's smart to get an advantage. But if you don't, you have a lead using up all 24 seconds is smart. And he just did such a great job of knowing when to run and when not to. And it wasn't that he slowed things down. It wasn't that he sped things up. It's just that he read the, the circumstance and Denver just was in such a great rhythm when he was at the helm in that fourth quarter. Um, and it was a really good game from him. Take our last break here on the other side, though. I want to just kind of give a quick overarching thoughts on Michael Porter and his integration into the three-man game with, with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. But first, I'm going to tell you about MSU Denver Online. If you're looking to get back out there, earn a degree online while you're still working. MSU Denver Online is the place. Uh, time and time again, the one thing that protects you against economic downturn is an education allowing you to adapt into various careers so you can go build your toolbox at MSU. Super engaged teachers that are extremely responsive to emails, questions, concerns. Many of the teachers work in the same field, so it's a great opportunity to network or just ask questions about what it's like in whatever field it is you're trying to trade for. Um, the course content is highly relevant, very personable. And then again, it fits your schedule. And that's what's so great about MSU Denver Online. Maybe you worried, like, I don't know if I have enough time to do this and if I have to sit in this, these classes or this. Trust me, they are tailor-made for you to be able to continue working your job or doing whatever it is that you're doing in your personal life that takes up so much of your time. But if you can commit a little bit of that to, you know, really learning whatever it is, taking these classes and, and, and becoming educated in a field you're trying to transition to, um, they really make it easy for you to do that. So check them out, MSU Denver Online. And then, of course, I got to tell you about our new sponsor here, Gabby Insurance. And I got to tell you guys, you're look, everybody's looking for ways to save money. We always talk about trying to go local and supporting local businesses. But how would you like to keep an extra $961 a year in your pocket? That's how much uh, Gabby customers save per year on average on car and home insurance. And we just had a bunch of people in our office. I have, I'm, I'm scheduled to be doing this later in the week, so I can't wait to find out what my number is. But I know Gabby's giving quotes to every single person in the company. And one of our employees is saving over $1,000 a year uh, on an insurance by switching over to Gabby. She takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you apples to apples comparison, uh, a comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Nationwide, Travelers, Progressive. I'm telling you, she can beat them. Like I mentioned earlier, Gabby customers save $960 per year on average. You're probably overpaying on car and home insurance. See how much Gabby can save you. It's totally free to check out and there's no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash DNVR. That's Gabby, G-A-B-I, Gabby, G-A-B-I dot com slash DNVR. Um, remember, they do not sell your info. You'll not get blown up with insurance calls after checking Gabby out. Uh, that itself is super comforting. So again, check it out. Gabby, G-A-B-I, Gabby dot com slash DNVR. 
All right, final segment here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast. And just kind of want to talk in broad strokes about, um, you know, where Michael Porter is at. You know, I, I think I, I just spent a bunch of time going through every offensive possession for the last, I don't know, 15 games for the Nuggets. And when you watch it, you know, when I go back and rewatch games, I'm watching the whole game, offense, defense, just regular, just like you would watch any game. And you pick up a lot of different things. But when you go back and watch every offensive possession in a row, back to, to back to back to back, you really pick up the trends. and. One of the things that stood out to me that surprised me a little bit was just how little Michael Porter was involved in dribble handoffs and even in that three-man action. Now, you do see it, the progression over this last 10 games especially, more and more of the playbook going to him. But the Nuggets really predominantly use Michael Porter as a floor spacer right now. And he's a great floor spacer. He's actually an elite floor spacer because of how tall he is, before because of how afraid defenses are to venture away from him because he's a big target and he's a knockdown shooter. So using him as a floor spacer is a great use of him. It's by no means saying like they're wasting him. But I do think that that the process of integrating him more into on-ball actions, more into two-man game with Jokic or Murray or into the three-man game that involves all of them, it's very clearly starting to come together, but it's still there's only about four or five plays by my count that really truly look for him to go there. So, but but like I said, you're starting to see it more and more. So, what I'm hopeful for over these next 10 games and really over these next five, six, seven games is that the Nuggets are starting to use him more in the dribble handoff game. We've seen this especially over the last five or six games where Michael Porter and Jokic just creates, put so much pressure on the defense with that handoff game in large part because if you go under the screen, you know, Michael Porter's footwork, he has a lot of work to do, I think, on the footwork part of that dribble handoff. But he's so tall that if you go under, you know, he can either get the, to the three-point line and take the shot or he's just so big that if you go under, he can even get into the mid-range and elevate over you because if you go under, you had to take like a step backwards and now you're closing out forwards and it's just so did he's six foot ten and he elevates really high on his shot. Then if you go under, he can get to that mid-range zone and knock down the jumper and that's really been his comfort zone in the, the triple handoff game with Jokic. It's been mid-range pull-ups that have been, I, I would be curious what the numbers are, but I'm guessing he's shooting well over 50% on specifically that action, Jokic, Michael Porter handoff game. But then his other instinct is to cut back door, and he cuts back door a lot. And, you know, I think that I'd almost like to see him cut back door a little bit less in large part because, you know, the more he can knock down the shots on the handoff, the more defenses are going to have to really press into him and the more there's going to be space for him to back door. And not just that, you know, when he backdoors, if it's not open, he's kind of taken out of the play. He has to exit to the other side, and then he becomes a floor spacer again. So part of this is I'd love to see the Nuggets get into that two-man action with him more. But part of this is I think he needs to better recognize when he can put himself in position to be involved in that two-man action. But even when you think about Murray and Jokic, you know, Murray and Jokic two-man game, with specifically with the handoff, there's a lot of... Murray comes off one way, and if Jokic doesn't like it, he pulls the ball back, and then Murray curls. And if he or 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 if he doesn't curl, he comes back into the handoff the other direction, or maybe he receives the handoff and then flips it into a, a screen going the other direction. It's just those guys know the rhythms of each other, so that it's not just one action. With Michael Porter right now, it really does feel like it's either backdoor or handoff, and part of this is just chemistry that has to develop over time. And some of this is you run plays that are specifically designed 
you know, usually you don't over orchestrate a possession, but sometimes early on in a player's career, you'll say, Hey, here's what you're going to do. You're going to come for the handoff after you receive it. You're going to take one dribble, then you're going to reverse it. Then Jokic flips the screen and now it's a pick and roll. And, and you really draw these things out. And then over time, players just realize like, Hey, I know we didn't necessarily call this play, but I know we can flip the screen and do this or this or whatever. And I just think that the Nuggets, the quicker they can get to a point where Michael Porter and Jokic have that basic dribble handoff game down, the better Denver's going to be because it's already such a weapon and there's just like no nuance to it. It's like super, super direct. Hand the ball off, get to the mid-range game and elevate. And if you have a shot, take it. If not, get the ball back to Jokic and get out of the way. It's so elementary. I, I can't wait till they add, start adding more and more layers onto it. And then you talk about the playbook. You know, we all know about that X out play. I've called it peel where Porter goes and sets the ball screen and then gets down to the block. And it's like an ISO play form that they ran last year. Haven't really run a whole lot of that. Although they did have a nice high low action out of that, that play uh, a game or two ago. Um, but they do have a couple other plays. We've talked about C corner and then uh, anybody that's been following, you know, DNVR as a DNVR member can recognize that play when it happens. But then they've got this Hawk uh, screen, the screener action. They've got a delay screen, the screener action. They've got a, a, a nice uh, rip action out of um, an Iverson cut or, 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 or out of a Iverson formation, basically, where um, what they'll do is they'll have Jamal Murray set the back screen for Michael Porter, who like goes for a lob. And then immediately Jamal Murray will release from that screen and get a handoff from Jokic. And it's just one of those plays where it has Murray and Porter going in opposite directions. The defense has to figure out to switch or to fight through. And if you don't switch, more often than not, Murray is open on that handoff coming the other direction. So Denver has some really nice three-man action with those three guys that is just – it's truly unguardable, honestly. Like, if you have the right guys around them, the defense, there's just no good option for the defense when those three guys are involved in those actions because you just can't switch it. And I think as – the you know, Denver, the progression will probably be that Denver adds, you know, a new play involving those three guys maybe once a game uh, or once every other game, somewhere around there for the next five, six, seven, eight games. And hopefully, you know, these are things that Michael Porter internalizes and just remembers. So you don't have to go backwards. You don't have to say like, hey, do you remember this play? It's like, no, 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 we've, we've mastered that. We can move on to the next one. And then once you've mastered a couple of set plays, then it just becomes more about him learning how to read the court so that it's not just execute this like a football play where you run a route, but more about reading the court and saying, okay, if Murray does this, or if he sets the screen this way, I need to cut this way off of him or, or what have you. And if Jokic doesn't hand the ball off to me. And when I come around for the DHO, where do I go from here? Because that's when Porter will actually be fully integrated into the offense. And it'll probably take a while, like over, not just this season, but into next season. But Denver is inching closer to that, and I really think that now that the team seems more set on playing him at power forward and playing him alongside Jokic and Murray more and more, my hope is that the the steepest portion of that curve is happening right now. It started maybe six, seven games ago, and that it'll continue over the next 10, 15, 20 games, so that 20 games from now, the difference between the chemistry and those three is just through the roof. I think this is a real, not make or break time for Michael Porter and his integration, but I do think it's one of those times that if he's not made great progress over the next 10 to 15 games, then there's cause for concern. But if he does, I think we're in for a very exciting period of Denver Nuggets basketball and maybe the most exciting portion of the season to date. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Don't forget, subscribe to DNVR. Become a DNVR member so you can check out all of the stuff behind the paywall. Harrison's writing uh, Brennan Vote's grades. Uh, I got the list. I've been working on that video this week, but we'll probably have another edition of the list after tomorrow's game. So you want to be checking that out. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you all next time.
Before we get out of here, just want to remind you about the Rugby Town USA. Excited to introduce you to a new rugby venture and team, the Colorado XOs. XOs for crossover. I had to tell RK this, by the way. He thought XOs. He didn't know what it meant. I had to explain that it means crossovers. Why?